It is my joy and pleasure right now to introduce to you, many of you know this man, uh, but our word is being brought to us today from Pastor Guy Smith. He serves as one of the pastors over at River Bluff Church off of Dorchester Road here in North Charleston, and he served here several years ago as interim pastor, and he's a friend of mine, friend of Walter's, and we're thankful to have him with us today. So if you would, please give him a round of applause and welcome him with a warm welcome. Thanks, bro. Good morning. Uh, We can do better than that. Good morning. So Walter called, not Walter, sorry, the other guy. What's the pastor's name? Brian. Brian. So Brian calls me a few, about a month or so ago, says, hey, we're having our 75th anniversary. You want to speak? I'm like, well, yeah, because I know there's cooking, right? I mean, the the cooking's coming, so that's just obvious, so of course. Uh, let me tell you, it's, it's, it was a pleasure serving here. It was, it was an honor to serve people here at this, at this wonderful location. I am so thankful that God in his providence put a church here. I believe that as we go through life, we see the presence, the providence, the sovereignty, if you will, of God. I, I believe that when a church is planted, that's God doing work in that area. So for 75 years and 175 more to come, God's going to be working through these people here. Now, I don't think any of y'all are going to be here then, but your legacy will be. The legacy that the people started 75 years ago lives on today and will live on for years to come. And that's important. When we think about how God works and the providence of God and just how he works in different places, I think. So as I'm starting, if you would find your way to Jeremiah chapter 29, it's a familiar verse. It's familiar verses. We've read read these before, but I just want to kind of go back over these in a little bit different different way. Um, So when Brian Brian and I were talking, it was last week, he said, hey, do you got a sermon outline? Do you want to put anything on on the screen? And I thought to myself, I have kind of an outline. I could do it, but I'm glad I didn't because my sermon's different than it was Five days ago. It, it, it has changed, which is, which is fine. God has every right to do that. Have you ever been someplace, excuse me for dropping my glasses, have you ever been someplace that maybe you didn't want to be there, but you knew you were supposed to be there? Years ago, I was some of you know, I was in the military, I was in the Navy for years, and we were overseas, I can't remember, it was 88, 89, I can't remember, and we're overseas, and we, we pulled into this port in Spain, and on the side, some people liked us in Spain, and even America back then, even different times, they don't always like us because of different people and different reasons, I'm not going to get into the reasons. But there was a sign on the wall as, we, as the ship pulled in, and it said, go home, Yankees. And a friend of mine comes up. He's from L.A., lower Alabama. Any lower Alabama people in here? So he's from, he's from L.A., and he goes, he goes, hey, Smitty, those guys don't like you Yanks either. I put my head down. I said, dude, he's talking about you. He goes, hey, talking about me. I'm from the South. I went, okay. Whatever. But we were there uh, on, because the military wanted us there, but there were some people that didn't really want us there. There are times, I believe, that God 
puts in our mind and puts in our thoughts to do something where it may not always be prudent, if you will. It may not always be exactly what we want, but God calls us to many things through that. And we're going to get to that in just a minute because the children of Israel were, had been taken into captivity. But they were supposed to be there for specific reason. And I believe Holmes Avenue is here for a specific reason. I, I believe God works through these different times in our life. I, I want to read you just two. I, in, just two in the life of America. And I read this because, you, well, you, let, me, let me just read you. You'll figure it out. Christopher Columbus. We know who Christopher Columbus was. He writes in one of his journals... He writes in his journal after he had founded um, the Americas, he wrote this, It was the Lord who put in my mind, I could feel his hand upon me, the fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. All who had heard of my project rejected it with laughter and ridiculed me. There was no question that the, Spirit was, that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit because he comforted me with rays of marvelous illumination from the Holy Scriptures, a strong and clear testimony from the 44 books of the Old Testament. He's got a couple extra in there. From the four Gospels and the 23 epistles called the Blessed Apostles, encouraging me continually to press forward and without ceasing for a moment. And now they encourage me to make haste. And the very end of the whole letter says this, the fact that the gospel still must lands in such a short time, this is what convinces me. So he was convinced that the gospel needed to move. Is that me? Am I, am I, did you lose me here at all? Off on, or is that just me listening? Every now and then? Okay, I'll just speak up then. So the Mayflower Compact, after the pilgrims came over, they wrote this, in the name of God, amen, whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord, King James, by his grace, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, defender of the faith, etc., having undertaken for the glory of God the advancement of ye Christian faith. The reason they came was to advance the Christian faith. And I believe the reason why Holmes Avenue was planted was for the Christian faith. And that's important as we kind of move forward in the next session, the next season of whatever you guys have, whatever the Lord has for Holmes Avenue. If you found your place in Jeremiah chapter 29, let me just read for us the first 14 verses. As I get, as I open up my Bible, I, this is, I have a little, it's called a dash. A friend of mine who passed away about a year ago was preaching a sermon. He was one of our elders at River Bluff. They preached a sermon about your dash. This is, has nothing to do with my sermon. This is just for free, and I remember it every time I opened my Bible. And he preached about it. He said, what are you doing with your dash? The dash links your when you died, sorry, when you were born, to when you died. That's your dash. What are you doing with your dash? That was for free. That was for my friend Jimmy. Jeremiah chapter 29. Familiar verses for us, but let's, let me go ahead and read all of them for us as we get started. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, to the prophets, to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother 
the eunuchs, the officials of Judea and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elias, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It says, so here's the letter. He's just introing the letter. Now here's the letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my promise to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I, will and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the places from which I sent you into exile. Pray with me, if you will. Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful for who you are. We're thankful for all you do for us. We're thankful for the people of Holmes Avenue. I'm thankful for the founders of Holmes Avenue that you put in their heart to plant a church here to make an impact in the city that would be North Charleston. So we thank you. Help this word to go forth and not return void. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this morning I want to think about in the city, for the city, for God's glory. Are we in the city, for the city, for God's glory? The first seven verses, well, the first few verses we read are mostly just kind of intro as we go through that, but then really started in verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent in to, sent, that I have sent from Jerusalem. Now he sent them into Jerusalem, he sent them from Jerusalem to Babylon because of their disobedience, because of their sin. But he sent them also to be used by God. He, they were going to be there 70 years, he says, a little bit farther down. But look what he says they're supposed to do. Look, I love this. He, he said, don't just go there and weep and mourn and complain. But they want, he, God calls us to be content and flourish where he has planted us. God calls us to be content and flourish where he has planted us. Because look what he says. He says, I sent you in verse four, but he says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. He says, all these things, you just live a normal life among the people that are your captors. We're not supposed to shrink back when things maybe don't go our way. 
We're supposed to live and build what God plants you. If God has planted you here in North Charleston, then that's where you're supposed to build your life. For the, for the opportunities where you live, work, and play to be Jesus to somebody. To, to be that person that may not know Jesus, but you can be that Jesus. You can talk to him maybe at work. We're not supposed to just be Christian here because this is easy Christianity in, in here, right? Praise the Lord, it's easy Christianity. It gets tough out there. I haven't always been a pastor. I was in the Navy. I, was, I ran a Chick-fil-A, I was, which is the Lord's chicken, obviously. I was a financial advisor. I worked in the medical field. I've done, I've done many different things in my lifetime. And Jesus always says we're supposed to be Jesus where we live, work, and play. Not just here. We must overflow our lives. Because that's what he says here. But build your lives. Build your houses. Verse 7, verse 7 is just key in this whole first part about flourishing and being content. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sensed. The word welfare is actually a word, it's shalom. It's seek the peace of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its peace or in its welfare, you will also have welfare. I love it because... This, at this point, they were, cap- they were slaves. They were captive in it. They were supposed to be good citizens in the enemy's country. You see that? They weren't just going there. They weren't just on vacation. They weren't going there because they, just, they didn't decide to move there. They were taken and thrust into this place that they didn't know anything about. But God said, you're supposed to seek the welfare of the city. Be intentional about our faith. Live our faith out loud at work. I don't know where you work. I don't know what you do for a living. I don't know where you shop during the week. I don't know what you do. But what I do know is when we are not here, we're supposed to be in the world, we're supposed to be salt and light in the world. We're supposed to be different. About five years ago, I took that to heart because I, would, I was in Christian ministry. I was doing a lot of Christian stuff. And I was with a lot of Christian people. And I thought... That's good. I like most Christian people. It usually gets a laugh. Guess not. I like most Christian people. Listen, listen. I've been in churches, right? There's some, there's some Christians that aren't... I'll just say, sometimes I've been a Christian and I've not been lovable. How's that? I mean, if I put it that way. But when we're out there, we're supposed to be live out a Christian faith. We're supposed to use words. So about five years ago, I joined um, a gym. Well, I knew the owner, which kind of helps. But also, there's a lot of people there that don't know who Jesus is. There's a lot of people that didn't know who God is. I had more gospel conversations before and after workouts than I did, than I had probably the four, five, six years before that. Because these people you get to know and they let their guard down. You get to get be, you get to live with, you get to understand who they are. We talked about, we talked about um, kids, we talked about relationships, we talked about um, marriages, real stuff in their real life. Sometimes we don't want to be bothered with that, but we're supposed to be. If we're at work this week and we hear someone talking about junk in their life, maybe we should step in and say, hey, I'm sorry, how can I pray for you? We're supposed to open ourselves up. We're supposed to live in the city we are in. 
So maybe join a, join a group, join a, a nonprofit, join something that maybe isn't Christian outside. I'm not talking about joining a bar group. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about joining something, maybe a book group. I don't know. What, what would you like to do? Join something where Jesus maybe is not the focus and you become the Jesus focus in the group. So I, I read this article not too long ago. It said, nine traits of a community-focused church. Uh, number one, reaches out to community leaders. That's a good thing, reach out to community leaders. Maybe um, police officers, all the different, all alike. Intentional about being where the people are. Means not just here, be out there where the people are. Being a community of eating out in coffee houses. Meaning when you go someplace, I go to the same couple places. And I know that's kind of maybe me just kind of an older guy and I like the same place, I like the same coffee. But you go there and, and for the reason to build relationships. I was getting my hair cut by the same girl all the time until she quit, which is a bummer. But I built that relationship because she was awesome at giving a haircut, but she also needed Jesus. Helping where the community says they need help. Find out where the community needs help and help the community how the community needs help, not how you think the community needs help. Being intentionally invitational about inviting people to church, about inviting people to Jesus. Be in civic groups, if you will. Be on school boards. Be in political meetings, if you can. And I think one of the biggest ones that, that we get to do at River Bluff, and maybe I don't know if y'all do that here, is be in the schools. We have built a relationship for the last five years with the school, Oak Brook Elementary School. The Title I school, a lot of underprivileged under, uh, kids. We read to them. We do stuff for them. They do stuff for us. And so it's back, it's a great relationship of helping us and them with the community. So be community focused. Pray for your leaders, especially pray for the leaders that you don't agree with. I'm not saying pray that the leaders go, you need to agree with me. I just say work, Jesus, work. Pray for leaders. And live at peace with all of it. In Romans 12, 18, it says, if, it, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And that's what God was, I think, calling the Israelites to do is live peace with them as they build their lives. Because remember, we're not home. This, if you, if you say I'm a Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ, your citizenship is not North Charleston, it's not South Carolina, it's not United States of America, it is in heaven, because Philippians 3.20 says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're not even a citizen of North Charleston. So you're already a, someone that needs to witness where you are, be a missionary where you live, work, and place. And I love this fact when Jesus, when the Holy Spirit was writing this through, um, through Jeremiah, and he's talking about all this. That I, think, I see the principles is God does not leave his children. They went there. He actually sent them. If you read because I, where I sent you, but God did not leave them. And to me, that's huge. Because I know sometimes I go through my daily life and my, and my years go by. And I'm thinking, you know, sometimes I go, where, where, where's God? But God does not leave. Joshua 1.5 says this. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as it was, as it was with Moses so I will be there with you. I will not leave you nor forsake the words of God. In Hebrews 13, 15, the writer of Hebrews says basically the same thing. He says, keep, free, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor 
forsake you. We are to be in the city for the city. We're to be in the city and help the city flourish, be content where God has for us. 1 Timothy 6 says this, but in godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out of it. Being content, when you're content where God has, that's a sign that you trust God. Now, so here, here's a dichotomy of how I've talked to people before. They say, well, if we're supposed to be content with where we are, can we do better? Can we move up? Let's say you're, you're supposed to, you're, you hear this, you say, God's supposed to be content with my life, but I'm not because I want to better my life. That's good. I, I think that if you are a Christian, wherever you maybe work, I think you should be the leader. And that's not, that's not different. That's not saying, well, you're supposed to be content, but then you're supposed to want to achieve. You're always supposed to do your best. But I think that if you're a leader, you can, you can influence more people. Years ago, I worked at, when I went through Southeastern, I worked at um, UPS for four years. When I started there, first of all, I'm saying this, and, and please don't take it as I'm bragging. I'm not. But I just want to show you what I think. This was what I thought and what I did when I was there. So I was there, um, and when I got there, I became a supervisor quick because of my background in the military. And then I started, started, the people would come in. I was training the new hires, and a lot of, we got a lot of people from Southeastern, a lot of guys and ladies from Southeastern because we're right up the road. They had tuition assistance. I don't know why you need to know that. So, but when I was there, we, all, we only had a few of Christians that were in charge of the different work areas, just a few. And all I did was I took, I took aside all the, the people that came through my class that came from Southeastern, and I just challenged them. I just tell them to say, hey, will you, when you get out there, do your best so that you can become a supervisor so you can influence more people for Jesus. And when I got done, when I left there, there was more people, I can't remember the exact number, but there was a, there was a lot more people that were Christian running the work areas than there were not. Because I think Christians need to influence people from the top down and from the bottom up. So if you're a business owner today or if you're someone that has influence over people, I believe that we need to do that. But God calls us to be content and flourish where he's planted, but also God calls us to be watchful of deceivers. Look at verses 8 and 9. Look at verses 8 and 9. He writes this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. If you want a good study about false teachers, false prophecy, read the chapter before. So the chapter four, verse 28, Hananiah was this guy. Hananiah was, said he was a prophet. Hananiah goes, you know what? That's not going to happen. He goes, you're not going to be there 70 years. It's only going to be two years. Two years and you're going to go home. So what are the people? The people were happy. The people loved to hear that. And Jeremiah's like, Amen, may it so, may it, I hope that happens. But then the word of the Lord said, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And Hananiah, you're going to die within the year. Hananiah died within the year, and the people were there 70 years. We need to be watchful of deceivers. We need to be watchful of people today that say, thus saith the Lord, and the Lord didn't say that. 
That's where I think we need to really be careful and we need to really be reading our word and really be studying our word and really be understanding what God says. We don't have to know the whole Bible in and out. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we all need to go to four-year Bible college. That'd be great. What I am saying is we need to be familiar with our scripture that when someone says, someone's out there talking maybe at work or out of the neighborhood or out of your house and they say something, you kind of go, that doesn't sound right. And you find out why it doesn't sound right. We need to refute those in a very kindly, generous, loving way and not let people just believe that when we're silent, that we believe what they believe. We just need to, we need to, I, I, maybe this is just for me. I need to step up my game when people say things that are unchristian, unbiblical. I need to call it out. But maybe that's not you. Then pray for those that do that. Or just say, what does the Bible say? That's, that's something I've learned the last couple of years is I just, I've had conversations with people. My brother-in-law and I had, had this huge blowout conversation. And I said, just tell me what the Bible says about the subject we were talking about. That, that's all I want to know. I don't want to know what this theologian said, this person said, this teacher. I don't want to know that. I just want to know what does the Bible say about X? Because once you know that, you know what God believes about it. God is the author of Scripture, and we need to use it like that, right? If you, if you, if you need to know how to fix something, you can you get a tech manual out, go to YouTube, whatever. But you're going to know what someone, that, you know what some authority says about it. That's, our authority comes from God through his words. So we need to be careful about those deceivers. In Colossians 2.8, Paul's warning the Christians, he says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. What he's saying is he's saying, people, be careful. Be careful there's false teachers out there. There's people that are saying bad things about who Jesus is. People say, you know, I may not follow Jesus 100% the way I'm supposed to. And people look at Christians maybe sometimes and say, hey, I don't want to follow Jesus because I don't like your lifestyle. Well, I always turn back to Jesus. I said, don't follow Jesus because of me. Follow Jesus because of Jesus. And there's also a warning to uh, preachers and, and teachers of the word in 2 Timothy 4, starting at verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all comp- complete patience and teaching, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, for they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. So if you're out there talking to people about who Jesus is, and they get mad with you, and you start thinking, maybe I should change my theology a little bit, don't do it. If someone says, well, I don't think this, ha- I think we've evolved as a species, don't do it. The Bible is the Bible. The Bible stands on its own. So how do we do that? In 1 John 4, he, he talks about, um, it says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to, whether, to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out to the world, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
If they confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, they can't be bad. They can't be, they may be misled a bit a little bit that, but you can't say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, has come from in the flesh, is God, and not be not be a Christian. They just don't say that. So know who your deceivers are. Know the truth. The truth is Jesus. Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. No one comes to God except by him. Know that truth. And know your Bible, like I said before. Know scripture. Know where to find something, or maybe just know who to call if they don't. But know that the Bible is the word of God, and that's where we find the answers. So God calls us to be content and flourish where he's planted us. God calls us to be watchful of deceivers. And the last group of verses that I think God calls us to be, to trust in his sovereignty. Look at, start at verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to the place. So look, God's timing is perfect. I love God's timing. God's time is not always easy, but God's time is perfect. God said uh, 70 years is perfect. So if you've been praying for something for a long time and you don't see movement, keep praying. Don't give up. Keep praying, keep moving the direction you feel God wants you to move because God's timing is perfect. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, the famous verse that most of us probably know by heart, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and to hope. God's timing is perfect. God's way is, his way is perfect. The plans I have for you, if God has plans for you, they're perfect. We just have to walk them out. That's the hard part of life sometimes, is walking out the plans that we know God has for us. Thinking, that sounds weird, God, but God's plans are perfect. So I was thinking about this this week. I was talking to some friends of mine about God's plans and God's ways. And, and I was, you know, I'm, sometimes I get confused about how God works in different things. You see God taking his, his whole people to, to Babylon, which is just different. God used a virgin to give birth to our, our Messiah. Um, and I was thinking about how does God work like that in my life? Well, years ago, many, many, many years ago, when I was not a Christian, my wife uh, was a Christian, and she was praying, and my, she was pregnant. I was in the Navy, like I said before, I was in the Navy, and she's pregnant. She's praying, and her mom is praying. The joke around her house, if you want something, ask Mama if she prays, you're going to get it. That's Because that's, she's got a real close walk with the Lord. So if you want something, just let me know. I'll, I'll give it to Gloria. Um, so my wife's praying, my mother's praying that I would be there for the birth of our first child. So the due date was around October, I was deploying in August. I was not going to be there. There's no way. You know, back then, the military didn't say, take a couple weeks off. We'll fly you back at our expense. You have to, and then come back. They don't, they don't do that. I don't know if they still do it. So in April, I was playing basketball, twisted my knee. I left the ship, never came back. I was there for the birth of my son. I, I think it was God. My wife and her mother think it's God. They just, I don't know how, how, I don't know how she do it, but God got me where I needed to be. And I think sometimes when God moves, he gets us to where we need to go by different ways. But God's timing is perfect. His, his way is perfect, even though it may be weird to us, but his way, how he gets us to where he wants to go, how he got the children of Israel there was perfect. It was painful for them. But at the end of that, it says, 
God's peace is perfect. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for a welfare of the word, like I said before, means is shalom, is, is, is peace, and not for evil, to give you a future and, and a hope. This, God's peace, his, his way is perfect, his peace is perfect, so he does things for us, for his kingdom. They might be super comfortable for us, but his, his peace is perfect. So when we're, when we're going through things with the Lord, when we're facing obstacles, maybe just challenges, maybe not anything real bad, we're just facing life. We need to rest on his peace, his shalom, if you will. Not on what I say, what other people say, but sometimes we just rest in him. How do you do that? When life is hard, how do you rest in him? When we pray, we meditate, maybe we withdraw and get alone with God. Maybe we have people pray over us. But we have to get alone with God. We have to know, we have to know that God has our best interest in mind on everything. We, have to, we just have to know that. We have to know that he's a good, good father. And I know I get some, I've gotten pushed back before and I say God's like a father. And I've got, I actually got one, one gentleman yelled at me. He said, don't call God a father because I had a terrible father. I'm like, well, you did. I know you, dad. But God's the perfect father. God's the, the, the father. If you read through the book, that's how God, that's how we as, as fathers should father the way God did. We don't always get it right. But God's peace is perfect. So look at starting verse 12. Some of the rewards after all this. I love this. This is, this is so great because we're, we're going to show a verse here in a minute that, that Jesus picks up on this. After all this, bring your future hope. He says in verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. When was the last time you took extended time to call on the Lord for direction in your life? Since we're here on the 75th anniversary of Holmes Avenue, what was the last time the church in total kind of prayed for direction of how this church is to go? When was the last time you prayed for your pastor and said, listen, guide them, their, your pastors, the way you want to go, Lord. Not the way they may want to go or the way we want to go, but how you want to go. We need to pray for his desire, not ours. When you pray to God, you will listen. He will listen. I, lo I love a God that goes, I'm not too tired. I'm not too far away. I will listen. If you pray, I will listen. In verse 13, it says, you seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Seek God with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place where I sent you into exile. He will listen. He'll be found if you seek him. And he'll restore all the stuff that he took, all the stuff he's going to restore. He's going to restore. I love that because all these people for 70 years... They're going through all this stuff. And God said, all you got to do is last 70 years. Do what I tell you to. I'll restore your fortune. I love Charles Stanley and what he says. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. If, 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 if you want to just dwindle the 
Christian life down to that, that would be awesome. If you could just, if you could just hear God and do what he said, life would still won't be perfect. It still won't be easy, but it'd be God-fearing and be awesome. And then G, I think Jesus picks up this theme of, of seeking and listening and finding in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, because he says this, seek and it will be given to you. I'm sorry, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, keeps on asking, active, active verbs, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Are you seeking? Are you asking? Are you knocking? Are you continually, or are you just like, God, I know you're supposed to help me out with whatever, whatever but you're not. Maybe you have a friend that doesn't know Jesus and you've been praying for him. Are, are you still praying for him? Or if you're like, well, it hadn't happened lately, so I guess God's not, gonna, guess God's not up there. He's not listening to me. God's timing is perfect. I, believe, I, I love this, these verses because it says that God is a rewarder. God does reward us for faithfully following him in Hebrews eleven six, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is, that there is God, that he is God, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So as you go through these days, as you think about your legacy here at Holmes Avenue, as you think about the legacy maybe you have at who you are as your family, are you seeking to find him? Are you seeking? Are you looking? Are you, are you praying? Are you hoping to find him? Or are you just going, you know what? I'll find him if I, can't, if I find him. That, that whole seek, ask, knock is one of those active things that we continually need to do. In Philippians 1, 6, it says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will, be, will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I believe that of people, I believe that of us, and I also believe of places he has ordained, like this church. He will, com- he will complete it until the day, and perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. I want to read this. I found this, I saw this not too long ago. It's just, it's not long. Don't worry, food will still be there. It's called Dying to Serve, a parable. It's just kind of interesting to kind of fit this, this whole theme of staying or going or, or being where God sends you. It says, um, imagine two grains of wheat lying on the floor of a warm and cozy barn. One day the farmer comes in and tells them, I want to take you out of this comfortable barn and plant you in the earth. I'm going to place you in the cold, dra- cold ground and cover you with soil. It will be dark and you will die but I promise that you will be, multiply and you will become very fruitful. The first grain of wheat turns down the suggestion, no way, he says, count me out. I like, to be comf- I like my comfort, I don't want to die. But the second one, after carefully considering the pain and discomfort of dying, decides the promise of a future harvest is worth the sacrifice. So the farmer takes him outside and plants him in the ground while allowing the first grain of wheat to remain inside the barn. A few days later, a small green sprout begins to appear over the seed that has been planted. It grows and becomes a tall stalk of wheat that produces 100 more grains. For the next 40 years, the farmer plants all the seeds that, that originate from the first grain of wheat and 
year after year, the harvest multiplies. Meanwhile, the grain of wheat that stayed in the barns remains there all alone, never growing or multiplying, but it has stayed very comfortable. And the author ends up with this, says, which grain of wheat are you? Are you playing it safe? Or have you let the, the or have you let Christ plant you in the world? The only way you'll become useful and fruitful in the kingdom, uh, in God's kingdom, is by abiding in Him and trusting that He desires for your worthwhile life. So, a couple, some of the takeaways. I just, I just wrote these down. This will, we'll kind of finish with this. Number one: allow God to control all aspects of your life, everything, not just here, not just there, but. Every aspect of your life, where you live, work, and play, where, you, where, you, where God has planted you in the community, let God control all aspects of life. Understand that God has your best interest in mind. He's got his, he's got his focus on the whole world, but he also has your best interest in mind of how it fits into the kingdom. Number three, be kingdom-focused because he is kingdom-focused. Don't focus on me always. Don't focus on my little self. Focus on the kingdom of God. Collaborate with other church. I love that you guys have another church here on Sunday mornings. I love that. That is fantastic because that's kingdom-minded. That's focusing on the kingdom because people, not everybody in this North Charleston is going to come to Holmes Avenue. But they might come to the other churches here or other churches in the neighborhood. I would, if you see, if you're talking to somebody and they go, well, I live in Goose Creek, and I say, hey, hey, well, come here every, every week. It's going to be a little bit far. They might, but maybe you need to find the help find them a church closer by this Bible-believing church. That's kingdom-focused. That's kingdom-minded. There's enough lost people to go around, right? You been outside lately? There's a lot of lostness out there. Be kingdom-focused because God is kingdom-focused. Do not give up. Persevere. Persevere through whatever God... If you know that God calls you to do this, persevere through it. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. James 1 Two through four says this, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, like these people in, in, uh, in Babylon, they encountered trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let that endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Put your hands in Jesus' hands. So maybe today you're here, you're going, I, I came for the food, good reason to come. But maybe something through God's word, has touched your life, and you just need to pray about it. Maybe something, as you, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I need to be more vocal with my faith. Maybe I'm going through a hard time, and I just need to persevere through it. There's people here that will pray for you. There's people here that love you. And they'll pray for you. But whatever that is, just pray through it. And let, God, let, let, people, be, let people know that. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your mighty hand on Holmes Avenue Baptist. I love the fact that you have planted them here. You have planted churches around and you can use them in a mighty and fantastic way for your kingdom and your glory. So Lord, help us to be in the city, for the city, for your glory. That's what counts the most. Not our glory, not what we want. But Father, help us to pray. Help us to live out our faith in a way that is God-honoring. 
and brings others to you. So help us to serve. Help us not to grow weary in doing good. Help us just to be the people you called us to be. It's in your name we pray. Amen.